On this week's full-time roundup, the title races tighten up, Daniel gets the better of Matt in the battle of the day, and predictions cap us off heading into a big week. Full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome in to the latest episode of the full-time roundup. Matt Gesslin here, joined as always by Daniel Brackett. Daniel, congratulations. We'll get to it later. Uh, I have to give credit where credit is due, but again, we don't want to spend too much time right now as there's a lot to cover, but of course I am referring to the EFL Caribou cup game this afternoon in which Daniel and the Liverpool boys took care of business. It's a little painful. I sat in front of my television for quite a few minutes afterwards, but, uh, again, we'll get to that later. Daniel, how are you doing on a Sunday? A big Sunday here in the queen city after a notorious victory, uh, for Charlotte FC, their first ever home opener victory last night. I know you were there. I was there as well. How are you feeling today? Given you had a, a pretty crazy, uh, not even 24 hours, let's call it 12 to 18 hours. Yeah. Uh, the, the voice is a little sore today. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was also very chilly. So there's, there is a chance that I do catch a cold after last night, but soccer wise, it was fairly fantastic. Both my teams one in their respective days, had a good time doing it. Um, met up with some good friends before the Charlotte FC game, and it felt like uh, the boys are back in town in a way when Charlotte FC kicks off. So excited to you know go to a lot of MLS games and have that league kind of start up. I'm sure you were one of those guys that was either wearing a t-shirt or no jacket. So, uh, you know, I had the sweatshirt and it was not enough. It was not enough. Sweatshirt was definitely not enough. I had some gloves. I had some, some leggings on, uh, as I was sidelined, but uh, it was pretty cold out there for sure. But, uh, jumping right in Daniel. And, and of course we'll, we will cover MLS, uh, continually throughout our, our episodes here as this league does kick off similar to some other leagues across the world. Um, we've done periodically like Liga Emekis, but want to go back over to Europe quickly, Daniel, as of course, Liverpool did not participate this weekend, but they participated on Wednesday uh, in their uh, Tuesday, excuse me, in their game for the week. Uh, but we have a, a pretty intriguing title race here in the Premier League. Not that we didn't have one before this weekend, but all three teams continue to win. Of course, Manchester City played their makeup game against Brentford on Tuesday, which they took care of business there as well. And we're looking at three teams that are separated by one point, two points, you know, from top to, to third to first. Uh, Arsenal uh, in second place, second or third, third with 58 third. points. Liverpool third. first with, with 60 and Man City in second with 59. Now, out of the two games, Daniel, which one was a little bit more, I want to say concerning, but just kind of what, what was, which one stood out to you more? Was it the, the city game against Bournemouth or was it the Arsenal game against Newcastle, which really kind of felt pretty straightforward for Arsenal in the end? Man, that's a loaded question, but I'd say, I'd say Manchester city was the more, it wasn't the most interesting watch but it was interesting to see how they continue to like grind out these wins. They again, were not con convincing very much. I, I think they're going through a little bit of a, a blip and we're, we're calling it a blip, but they literally drawn in like one narrowly twice in a row. So it's like per their standard, it's a blip, but in reality, they're just kind of churning out W's as they go. Totally different approach than Arsenal and Liverpool, who continue to steamroll teams. Of course, Arsenal winning 4-1 against Newcastle. Uh, it was 4-0, really, you know, pretty much done and dusted. A, a nice little consolation goal at the end there for Newcastle. I, I want to ask you, though, of course, as we, we gear and focus on the, the title race real quick, what has happened to Newcastle? A and where do we sit on Eddie Howe? Uh, no pun intended on whether he's in a hot seat or not. but We've been talking about how we felt he was okay for a little bit of time now, given all the injuries this year, but but things seem to things appear to be changing. Is he in jeopardy at this point, or is this kind of just what you expect, given you know everything that happened for Newcastle so far this campaign? It's hard to predict owners that are fairly new, so it's going to be a good trial test to see how how much their patience goes for. And they're they're missing Tenali. They're missing a, a ton of players. So the injuries have been there, like 
probably since like week seven of the Premier League, but they absolutely got battered um, by Arsenal. It wasn't even close. So it's they do have an FA Cup um, round this Wednesday. So I would imagine if they crash out of that as well, that could spell trouble for Eddie Howe. But I think they're going to keep relying on Eddie Howe for the time being, not make any rational like irrational decisions and then kind of go from there. Yeah. It's a weird schedule. Of course they've won, you know, a couple games. They beat Fulham, Aston Villa drew in a wild four, four game against Luton, which we talked about on our episode that when that happened. So it's not like they've been playing completely out of whack. Um, they they've obviously gotten some results and, and still, you know, top half of the table, which, which, I guess to your point with all the injuries that they've had and everything that they've gone through and, and first year in championship in, in European football in a very long time, of course, you know, play that into, into all of the, you know, uh, management of the roster and, and who's going to play whatnot. I, I still think Newcastle are a decent position to your point though, whether or not Eddie Howe makes it, I don't know, but moving back to the title race, Daniel, of course, Liverpool played today. You saw, you know, the three big, the big three um, that we thought or might have been potentially playing were not in the squad. You also saw Luis Diaz, if you were watching closely, have pull up at the end there with a p- apparent groin injury. Although he didn't seem like he had an option to c- to come off, given I think you had made all five subs and then the extra sub and extra time. Is, is that is that a concern at this point? Of course, it didn't sound like even if if they were optional or close to being able to play Mosala. Sobasai or, or or Nunez were gonna gonna go today, so that means that their injuries are, are clearly more than what's on the table. Of course, Trent Alexander Arnold was in a boot if you saw at the end of that game too, and and you know we've we've seen Jota and his injury. You know how concerned are you about just who's possibly left uh, to to keep pace with this Manchester City team? That to your point, even though they don't look like they're steamrolling or, or playing as well as Liverpool or Arsenal. They're still keeping that pressure on you guys uh, week in, week out. And you know it's only a matter of time before they get clicking again. I'm extremely concerned. It, it seems like when it rains, it pours with injuries at, at the time. And it's it's happening, right? As as I like watch, I mean, Nunez was out. I thought, I mean, him and Salah, I think, are, are back in training. So they're, they're very close to being back. Now, if they feature Wednesday is the question. I think they'll be ready by, by next weekend. But if we lose Diaz, we probably lost Graven Berk due to that nasty challenge, which we'll cover later. I mean, we're going to have to be starting like multiple academy kids at this rate. We're already starting Gerald Kwanzaa and Connor Bradley almost every single game at this point. But we're going to have to rely on a Bobby Clark or a, a McConnell or a, a Das, I think is his name, who, who played up top today. Because we just have run, we have we had thirteen senior players in the squad today, and we'll we probably just dropped to eleven. So it's it's continuing to be just a nightmare, and I, I don't really understand it. I feel bad for for Jurgen. I mean, we we won today, thankfully, but this is not how I want the retirement retirement tour or you know goodbye farewell tour to to end for Jurgen. So I'm I'm really hoping that. We can have a couple, you know, players make some comebacks within the next, say, five days, so we can continue to challenge and and you know set the pace for City to catch us. Yeah, of course. One one bright spot, Daniel, of course, is that you don't have too many Premier League games between now and the and the big one uh, on the tenth of March when you play City um, at home as well. So that's a, another positive here. But you have Southampton. On Wednesday in the in the FA Cup, then you have Nottingham Forest in the in the league, which, again, you don't ever want to take away any any opponent in the Premier League. You never know what can happen, but feels like a, a relatively straightforward match there. And then you know Sparta Prague in in Europa. So again, you have a little bit of leeway now with Liverpool now officially on quadruple watch after winning the first one today. The question about you know Europa, how do you approach that? It's two legs, of course. You might want to take a little pass at the first play, first leg, play play a second side or, or even a, a sea side if needed. And then again, March tenth is the big one against Manchester City. Where where do you feel you need to be going into that of the form that you have against you? Is it is it two out of three? Is it two wins and a draw? Kind of what's ideal for you going into that Manchester City match? 
I don't think it has anything to do with form. It has to deal with who's going to be available. I mean, at the end of the day, the mentality and the culture that Klopp has set, it, it really doesn't matter how our form is. We're always going to get up for City, no matter what. So it's just more of who we can get back healthy by that time. And I think we should have at least three or four senior players come back to the squad by then. And that's with fingers crossed, um, obviously. But and hopefully we we pray that there's no more injuries as the fixtures go on. But I wanted to pivot towards towards Arsenal really quickly. I don't. I mean, I feel like a lot of people projected Arsenal to win because you know they they were coming off a loss, but but they won in in a big way. And probably who you know led that big win was Kai Havertz at the nine, false nine, if you will. Goal and assists. I feel like he's gotten on the score sheet as of late, and he's finally starting to somewhat live up to that expensive price tag. And he he could be a key cog in Arteta's side to to get rolling and get hot here. Um, to not only you know rebound in the Champions League, but also challenge Liverpool and City in the Premier League title. Yeah, he's been a, a an interesting figure, especially the way that Arteta's used him throughout the year. Of course, playing him a little bit deeper at some point, and uh, when he went back to to the German national team, Nagelsmann playing him essentially at left left back. Um, so you know he's been kind of used in a different different way across the, the the spectrum this season. But he is starting to find some form. You saw it a couple games though now, Daniel, where he's been kind of finding those positions, not necessarily finishing, but you saw similar to how you know Erling Holland kept finding ways to get chances, even though he didn't finish. And, and more recently he's been putting them in, although he's obviously didn't play very well against Chelsea, but got a goal against Brentford later in the week. And so uh, to your point, I mean, it's a, it's a new system for him, the way he's come in. And of course, Arteta has a lot of, a lot of talent at his disposal. I think he's playing a little bit more in that role that he likes as a number 10, not necessarily, you know, true number nine up front. He comes a little bit deeper, um, so that that'll be interesting to see if he can continue that momentum. But yeah, he's a big piece. Uh, you know, they have a, they have a, a tough set of fixtures coming up before their their battle with Manchester City. Uh, you know, with with Arsenal playing Sheffield, Brentford, and Chelsea in the league. Uh, mix that in with a Champions League second leg against Porto um, at home. So they're they're in a tough spot, and they're going to need everyone right now to to keep rolling. Um, you know, if they're going to continue to get through this month of March unscathed and, and really set themselves up in April for a nice run at the title. It could be one of those things, though, Daniel, by the end of the month, they play City the last week, last day of the month um, that Arsenal could play themselves out of a title race, given just what they can do here in the next couple of weeks. But Kai Havertz, uh, along with, you know, Martin Odegaard and, and Declan Rice and a lot of the other pieces that they have there are going to really need to step up. And it's good to see a player, you know, who is a young player, talented player. Uh, of course, it just didn't work out at Chelsea, but you, you never root poorly or, or badly for, for anyone. And, and you're happy to see him get some good form in at, at Arsenal at the moment. Yeah. In this stage of eight, in this day of age of football, people kind of forget how young these talented players are. And so I don't know exactly off the top of my head, how old he is. I would imagine around 24, 25, so he's got he's not even halfway through his career probably. So it's it's always interesting to have perspective there. But I wanted to touch on the fight for European football um, as well in the Premier League. So we have Aston Villa who crushed Forest. They're now six points back from Arsenal and and five points ahead of Spurs with uh, who have one game in hand here. So you know Aston Villa who we we've kind of asked ourselves. Are they going to be able to kind of keep this form up throughout the Premier League season? I feel like the answer is yes. It does feel that way. I mean, it's a it's a tough one, right? Because you're looking at a probably them going against Tottenham. Uh, if we're really honest, you know, obviously I know, I know or Manchester United. I guess, I guess, I I wouldn't even again. You can't lose to Fulham. We'll get to that game in a second because I know you want to touch on Villa first. I mean, Ollie Watkins looked fantastic. Um, again, he, we've touched on it and just, you know, the, the journey that he's been on and where, how he's playing right now, they, they, they're very difficult to play at home. Of course, you know, they went on a little spell there where they lost three in a row, uh, at, at Villa park, but that happens, um, especially one of them not being in the league, but I think Unai Emery, he's, he's shown that he can, he can play stingy style of ball. If he needs to, he can also play expansive soccer. The talent is not there. Um, you know, long-term speaking, I, I think this is a, a very 
capped roster as far as ceiling and where they can go, right? You know, Ollie Watkins is probably not going to go to a big, a big four club at this point. I think where he is right now is probably the max for Ollie Watkins. You know, that doesn't exclude him from getting into the England squad, but he's not going to go to, you know, a Liverpool or Manchester city at this stage of his career. So again, Unai Emery, that doesn't mean that you can't be in the top four. And you're seeing that right now with a good manager who who has a system and a style he wants to play and his players are buying in. And yes, it's a, you know, it's, it's a long season. You're going to have little moments like they have, but they've bounced back and uh, they sit in a, in, I would say pole position, five points clear of Tottenham uh, for that fourth spot. And, and really, like I said, with Manchester United, not knowing what you're going to get from them, you're really looking at just Tottenham and we know what Tottenham can and cannot do uh, over the years. And, and just to put it in perspective, they play Luton next, then they play Spurs. Um, so that's a big game. To, to separate that. If they win that game, I I'll almost guarantee fourth place for them in the rest of the season. And then you guarantee go, the Matt Wol- Gaskin. And you go Ham, West Ham and Wolves after that. So this month of March is a really big stepping stone and, and marker for them to, to secure that spot in the top four. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. The only thing is can, all right, yes, you achieved. Say they achieved the top four status. All right, the next question you ask after the season is, can we maintain that top four status? And it, it seems like the squad is going to get picked away at key positions as well. Douglas Lees scored a brace this weekend. He probably will not be on this roster come August of next year. You know, I think Watkins might maybe – could find himself a move, but why would you if you're in Champions League ball? That wouldn't really make sense. They just did. They did tie down um, Leon Bailey as well to a long-term contract. I don't think Diaby will be going anywhere soon. But I mean, they could still leave or lose some players at key positions. So we'll see if they can, you know, Emery can convince people to stay and not be a selling club, and then continue to recruit on top of that, and you know, maintain that UCL Europa League status year in and year out. Now. You know, you mentioned Spurs. They did not play this week. I'm not really sure why. I don't. I don't they know played us. They were supposed to play us, and so the. Oh yeah, it got postponed. You're right. Yep. You're right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so they do have that game in hand now, so they can catch up to to Aston Villa. You know, if they, whenever this Chelsea match is is rescheduled, but then we have Man U on the other hand, and I think it was last episode or the episode before we were kind of talking about. All right, well. Man U's gained some steam here. They're looking like they could, you know, catch up to Spurs at least, and if not them, maybe Villa if they decide to slip. And you know what they do? They they go and shoot themselves in the foot on Saturday. And it's not completely their fault. Rasmus Hoyland was a huge miss for them. Lissandra Martinez uh, currently is out. Luke Shaw. I mean, they they do have an injury-riddled squad. But you can't make excuses because at, at this point in, of the season – Every single team has major injuries. Like I, I can't think of a team who doesn't or does not have injuries. Um, so they they just look like they had nothing going forward the entire uh, game. I thought Villa or sorry Fulham outplayed them the entire time, and it's a huge setback when talking top four, top five football. Yeah, you can't win. You can't lose eight games at home. Uh, I was gonna say win and got can't win. My I, I was gonna. I my brain was thinking about two things at once. There, so you cannot lose eight games at home and expect to kind of be in that in that top four race. Uh, it, it is surprising. Now, of course, not all eight games are in the Premier League, so just keep that in mind. But they they have lost. They they're not playing well at home. Uh, and you mentioned you know Rasmus Hoyland out. That's a big piece. You know the guy has scored eight goals in eight games for them. Really, with him out, it changes so much, not only because he's not going to be there to, to put the ball in the net, but now you have to play arguably Marcus Rashford out of position if, if that's what Eric Ten Hag chooses to do. And, and Rashford is much more effective on the left-hand side cutting in, and, and, and then you have Garnacho on the right-hand side with Hoyland up top. That that with The way that they were set up that way, they looked, and that's where we were talking about, that they started to look a little bit more... Um, electric if you will to use a, to use a different word but with with Hoyland out and it looks like he's going to be out for two or three weeks um so that's very concerning who's going to kind of fill in on that left hand side and it 
when you put Rashford up top, or do you find a new player to put up top? So if you're Eric Ten Hag, yes, you've been dealing with injuries all season, but the pressure is still on. It's Manchester United. They were turning the corner, you felt like, yet even though it wasn't really consistently good performances, they got results, and you're starting to see that now come to fruition where there really isn't much of a system yet still in place that if you lose a piece like Hoyland, it just is a – uh, insert and and continue. Um, so that's con- that's a concern for me if, if I'm Manchester United fan. And that's compounded for one singular reason. And we've discussed this before. It's bad recruitment. When Razzie H got hurt, I was thinking to my head, okay, so who's going to start in his place? Probably, you know, like you said, slide Rashford up top. All right, who's going to play on the wing? I was guessing it was going to be Anthony. Um, you know, it was not Anthony. It was not Ahmad Diallo. It was an academy kid. You also are paying Jaden Sancho, you know, 200 a week to not even play for your club at this point. And so it's ridiculous that, I mean, you, you sign Anthony for 90 million, you sign Sancho for however 90 million as well or something around that. And you signed Ahmad Diallo a while ago, and you don't really even give him a chance. And then you just give an academy kid to start. That's just a real indictment at where United are right now and what has hampered them in the past. And compared to other teams, you can just plug and play, and there's always someone chomping at the bit. And it feels like these big transfers that they keep doing every single year are not panning out. And that, I mean, Anthony is one of Ten Hogs guys. That's that's the crazy thing about it. He was the one pounding the table for for Anthony, and he doesn't go on until I think it was like the 85th minute in this game when they need a goal desperately. It's just you know a sad thing to see at this rate, but you got to fix the recruitment and you know the squad before you can go on and and you know get fifth place, get fourth place, get third place, and actually challenge for a Premier League title. Yeah, of course, Casemiro does get hurt with a head injury early on too. That that kind of takes away some of the midfield presence there. And, and uh, yeah, I know you watched this game and, and, you know, had a little bit more of a closer eye on it. I think to your point though, you know, the way that Eric Ten Hag personally went and got Anthony as his guy and doesn't play him now, he, he heard him talk after the game. It's, it's a process. Uh, you can't look at this as one game, even though, yes, we understand it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's a guy, a new guy in the at the charge uh, who's going to be looking at it and saying, "Are you still my guy to do this?" Uh, and he's got a lot of money, um, and he's willing to make some changes if he needs to. So you do wonder if, if Eric Ten Hag is is really playing for his job the rest of the way here, Daniel. I, you know, maybe he doesn't come out right away, but if Manchester United doesn't show, you know, a turnaround um, consistently and fight, if they if they're now stuck in sixth position the rest of the way or even, you know, battling with Tottenham for fifth. Uh, I don't know if Jim Ratcliffe is going to be too thrilled with what he's looking at long-term with Eric Ten Hag. So it'll be interesting to see. And uh, another one that we want to touch on, and you mentioned, uh, you know, going the wrong way uh, with United is, of course, Burnley. And these two storylines match right up. Vincent Company, is is he going to be on the hot seat at the end of the season with Burnley, you know, as well as the bad forum. Now, they're, they're... both on 13 points, bottom of the table in, in the Premier League. And, Sheffield, that is. Excuse me, Sheffield, yes. And uh, and so rough times, rough times at Turf Moor. Uh, what, what are we feeling on, on Burnley here? And, and what what's, this, what's the future look like for, for Vincent Company? I mean, this was the plan. Well, not the plan, but the plan is to rock with your manager for, you know, be a yo-yo club, go down, come back up. They were still technically as of now they're the best championship side to ever come up so you know you know he has the skill and the know-it-all to to do it again so i'm probably going to stick with him and use this at a, as a learning curve but you'd like to see him adapt and and try something different and rip up his game plan and maybe be a little bit more pragmatic i, I use that word a lot several months ago when we first started this and talking about vincent company so, I mean, the squad is also fairly devoid of talent, so it's hard to be that harsh on him. But you don't want to be competing with, with Sheffield United in any stretch of the imagination. They were supposed to be, you know, the worst team by by a mile. You know, probably after six weeks, we kind of decided that. So they need to pick up points somewhere. I don't know where they're going to do it. They either, you know, 
lose a game late or they just get a stupid red card. So they kind of beat themselves a lot of the time. So it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, can they end this horrific season on a good note somewhere? And I'd love for them to, you know, put a couple wins together at the end, even though it doesn't matter. But I think they're going to keep the faith with Vincent and just try to, you know, use this as much as a learning um, opportunity. Now on the other side, there is two teams that are fighting each other not to get relegated, and that's Luton and Everton. And Luton played Liverpool, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, and lost. And then Everton had a good lead at Brighton and threw it away to get a draw, but still has put them, in the meantime, one point ahead of Luton out of the relegation zone. This is probably the one or the two teams I'll be watching quite a bit of to see who's going to like beat who to save relegation. We've seen Everton do it multiple years, Lewin working, you know, their magic. Who's going to, you know, who's going to do it? Yeah, of course you don't really expect much against Brighton. If you're Everton, I think a point for them in this game is good. It, just to be honest, that's who they're, they're not competing against Brighton. Um, you know, 10, 10 men Brighton as well. Um, you know, as they went down to with a red card early. So there, there was an opportunity here to pick up all three points. But again, I think if you're Everton, you, you're happy with a point going to the MX, uh, a tough team, a tough place to play. And you pick up a point that again, you know, you probably were not expected to get. You, you have a really tough schedule here, West Ham, Manchester United, Liverpool. So if you get out of that, that run there with, with four points, you know, maybe you pick up a win against West Ham. Uh, a draw against United, a draw against Everton, uh, Liverpool in a, in a derby. That's a good run for you before you go into into Bournemouth, Newcastle, and Burnley. For, so for me, Daniel, they're looking at picking up wins against the likes of Burnley, you know, a Brentford maybe, a Forest, a Sheffield, and then they have a big matchup later in the season against Luton directly in the beginning of May. So again, you're, you're trying to pick up a point here and there against some of these higher squads and talk about a depleted roster of talent. That's what Sean Dyche is dealing with continually. Um, I, I am worried about Everton. Of course, there is still the caveat that we don't know about their, their point deduction will get reduced. Um, how many does it get reduced by? So I think from a league's perspective, from a race perspective, from a Luton perspective, you want this to be solved as soon as possible. So you know what your, what your, your benchmark is and, if it's not Everton, it, it becomes next man up, which is probably Nottingham Forest or, or Crystal Palace. Um, so you, you really want to know kind of where you're going, but it's going to be a tough, tough race uh, in that, you know, 17th to 15th position um, or, you know, 18 to 15. So it's going to be an interesting battle from here out to the rest of the way. Now we talk about interesting battles here as we pivot to the Bundesliga is the title race back on as Bayern Munich get a massive W against Leipzig this weekend. I was personally really hoping they wouldn't and lose or draw four straight, but they're able to get it done at home. Harry Kane with a, a brace puts his hero cape on, and they are eight points back from Bayer, Le or Bayer Leverkusen, but maybe this big win against Leipzig will spur them on to go and start challenging and maybe their form will pick up and then we'll have to see kind of how they handle the the Champions League draw as well against Lazio. Yeah, I guess my question, I'll put it back on you, is where does Bayer Leverkusen slip up? Um, that's really, I mean, when you're eight points behind, yes, Bayern Munich have to continue to win and you expect them to win majority of their games, just given the talent discrepancy that they have against most of the league in the Bundesliga is, is Bayer Leverkusen going to give them a gift, right? That's really what it boils down to. And, and where does that happen? And, and, you know, we saw again today, uh, you know, Dortmund, um, fall to, to, Hoffenheim, oh, which yeah. couldn't believe it. You know, again, more inconsistency from that team. Leipzig loses to Bayern Munich, so you don't really count them as much of a challenge. Uh, and we saw what the Bayer Leverkusen did to them before already this season. So where does Bayer Leverkusen get that challenge from? Stuttgart dropping points as well against Mainz, uh, you know, bottom bottom half or in the relegation battle. So, you know, like, like is always the case for Bayern, uh, these other teams in the league seem to be giving Bayer Leverkusen that cushion that they may need. And so to me, it's, it's more a matter of, you know, can Bayern put enough pressure on Leverkusen, whether that's, 
you know, in the media or getting a couple points, you know, you know, that they you didn't really expect them to get, although you expect Bayern Munich to win every game. Um, so that, that to me really determines if this battle is on or not. And, and champions league aside, I think if they would do themselves a service if they get knocked out. Now that's not the Bayern way. Um, that's not what Bayern Munich expects. They expect to at least make it to the next round and they probably will against Napoli, uh, or Lazio, excuse me. But, um, that's the only way you're going to catch Leverkusen with when you gave them a cushion of eight points. It's not, it's not as small a cushion as it was last year with Dortmund. Yeah, I, I went ahead and did the liberty of taking a look at the schedule here. So Leverkusen play Wolfsburg um, March 10th, maybe. That's like a time they slip up. They also have to play – they play a little bit of gauntlet at the end of the season, though. I'll give them that. They play Dortmund, Stuttgart, and then Frankfurt back to back to back. So there is a little gauntlet there. But we're talking about a team who has not lost – Exactly. Like they have thirty-three games without a loss. This Zero season. sample size of losing. Zero. So, I, I just don't think they do. But you know, at the end of the season, you know, if they go and progress on to the Europa League, have a couple unlucky injuries, we'll probably set our eyes to that gauntlet three games at the end of the season. But that's also entailing that Bayern keep up all the way and don't drop more points, which is just as likely as as Bayer Leverkusen, you know, keeps winning. And keep in mind, Leverkusen are doing this without Boniface and Palacios. No one's been talking Crazy. about that of late either, too. So, you know, two good, two big, big pieces from their their roster could come back. You mentioned anything can happen. You know, Florian Verge could pick up a knock or something like that, and that changes the, the, the entire race. The atmosphere of course not. But I'm saying you never know what could happen. You know, you saw Granite Shock a fake an injury in his celebration, you know, why even tempt fate there if I, if that's me with him? Uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, again, it, it comes down to if if Bayern. Now here's another question for you that might play into this: is is if shoot, is if Xabi Alonso has to make a decision, you know, with his managerial career in the future? You know, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of a lot of stuff coming around and floating about going to Liverpool and, you know, the, the pressure in the media about Bayern Munich already and him having to squash those rumors and saying, I'm focused on the one game at a time and Bayer Leverkusen. Yes. Right thing to say in the news, in the media, but you know, in that locker room, it's going to, you know, the once when things get tighter and tighter, Daniel is when it's going to become really interesting for Bayer Leverkusen right now. I think they're coasting as they should be with eight game, eight point lead. Again, they're not coasting because they're, they're still winning. They're, they, they haven't won the, the Bundesliga in a very long time. They've been notoriously known for losing it and letting it slip. Bayern, Labor, Bayern Munich are on their 11th season in a row. So there's pressure regardless right now. But imagine if we're in April, middle of April, you know, closer to the end of the season. They're only five points clear and all these rumblings are coming out about the manager leaving and, you know, the, the, all that jazz. So um, we said this before, it's a long way to go, but they currently – would have to have a very, very big catastrophic fall to lose this title, in my opinion. But it's still possible. And in Germany, teams like to give the title to Bayern Munich, it feels like. Yeah, started with a question, ended with a statement. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. But yeah, no, uh, I I don't, I just, how I've seen Xavi, Xavi's man management, I just don't see that, that slip up or that locker room toxicity kind of creep in. So I just don't think that'll be a thing, hopefully. But um, can I go into the rest of the best? Stugart, like you mentioned, dropped points against Cone. Um, Dortmund, I just I, are they Where just gonna start? stick? Are they Where just gonna with stick them? with Terzic? Like, are they just gonna stick with them to the end of the season? Like, is there gonna get to? A, I mean, they're still in the knockout with the Champions League, but their their Bundesliga form is atrocious. They play down to every opponent they have. Uh, you know, I was with a Dortmund fan all weekend and he just kept saying how he can't, you know, can't wait to watch us draw tomorrow. It was actually worse than that. They lost a lot of time. So that was kind of funny, but yeah, I just, it's just getting to the point now where I'm tired of it. And I really just enjoy focusing on, you know, the race between Bayer Leverkusen and, and Bayern since no other Bundesliga team wants to step up in a big way. Um, real quick. Frankfurt also draw or yeah, they draw with Wolfsburg to remain in the Europa conference league spot, six points behind of Leipzig in fifth. So, so that's a really 
interesting one to see if they can kind of sneak their way into where Leipzig and Dortmund are, especially if Dortmund, you know, continue that bad form of theirs. Um, but for me, it seems like the Bundesliga is a little bit wrapped up at this point, you know, pending anything crazy happening. Um, and speaking of, you know, wrapping it up, Real Madrid seemed to have wrapped up La Liga this week with a, you know, a narrow win against Sevilla. Uh, but they were able to kind of pull away from Barcelona and, and Girona with Luka Modric, father time, he said no, and scores an absolute banger um, to give them the lead. What would you think of that game? Luka Modric is a timeless gem. Just offside, continues. but... Yes, probably offside, uh, but and not him, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Antonio Rudiger was offside, uh, if you watch the highlight. Saves them, honestly. I mean, they they dominated this game um, as far as possession, but it didn't look like they really had a chance to. That was going to that was going to open the matchup. Um, they they were not really free flowing. You know, they had their opportunities, but it was it was second chances. They weren't great chance. They weren't great a chances. Um, they weren't playing you know touch football around around Sevilla, uh, and they made it a cha- They made it more challenging than they needed to, to be honest. Um, but Modric came and saved the day. Now I don't disagree. I don't agree with you necessarily, uh, that the race is over. Um, I, I do think that the way that we've seen Real Madrid play, if they continue to play like this, they're, they're going to drop points. Um, you know, Modric really did come and save the day today. Of course, Jude Bellingham is still hurt. The back line is, a is basically decimated with injuries. Um, Vinny Jr. was was not his best form today. He played well. I, I don't think he played poorly, but he wasn't his best. Um, and so if they continue to play like this, they could drop points. And Barcelona have, have been finding a little bit of form. Um, they're only, you know. It's eight points. Eight points, but. It's kind of a lot, though. I know, but they have a they have a game against each other. Uh, so there, there is another El Clasico. Um, Six-pointer there, yeah. So, again, you know, there is. If, in, if Now. Barcelona has to play flawless. Like there's no doubt about that. They cannot drop points to Los Palmas or an Alaves again. Like and they may not play each other. I didn't look exactly at their route, their fixtures, but those types of teams, they cannot lose points to like they have been throughout the course of the year. If they do not lose points though, Daniel, and they have a chance in that, in that El Clasico to, to really tighten it and get it down to two, three points. Um, then it's then it's game on. So it, I, I don't think this is over. I, I do think a team like Girona will find out how they do tomorrow against Rio Vericano, if they can stay in stay within touching distance. Uh, if they lose tomorrow, they're they're probably slipping out of the top four for me, honestly. Um, but that's a different story. We'll 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 cover that on Thursday after they play tomorrow. But I don't think this is quite over yet. Um, and it's it's close, but there's still there's still something here to play for. Yeah, I mean, statistically, it's it's definitely not wrapped up for the most part. But, I mean, I did look at Barca's future schedule, and it, it doesn't look great. They still have a ton of good teams. We're also, you know, inherently putting stock in Barcelona to play consistent, which they haven't done all season. So no that doubt. doesn't make me no feel doubt. very warm and fuzzy. Now, you said Girona slipping out of the top four. You know, we, we haven't covered this yet, but at the Atletico Madrid played the worst team in La Liga yesterday and they drew. And that's that's what you cannot do if you want to leapfrog Girona into the top three for Champions League spots. Luca Romero was the man of the match. East Milan, Lone Army, you know, continues to light there. He had two absolute wonder goals. Um, if you if you didn't get a chance to see him. I mean, what a 19-year-old Argentinian kid he's really starting to put it back together after he kind of got famous uh when he was at Mallorca a few years back but this is just this is just not good for Atletico they're now four points with a game in hand or four points back with Girona who have a game in hand who played you know like you said tomorrow and then they're only three in the athletic club um are only three points behind them so it's just a really a matter of who's going to just step up and catch form in the last month and a half of the season. And I'm just not really backing Atletico Madrid to do that really either. Yeah. I mean, to be fair though, Atletico Madrid have Copa del Rey, then they'll have a uh, champions league. You know, they've been, their fixture list has been, if you look at it, I think they played four games 
in in 10 days recently yeah. like they, they've been playing every other day for the last two or three weeks it feels like so sure. I, I don't i don't doubt you i mean and i don't disagree with what you're saying I, I do think once they get through some of these hurdles of these back-to-back-to-backs that they have and of course if they advance in copa del rey they still have a few more games and and the intergame against uh, in the champions league will be interesting but my point is i think more broadly at, at girona i think if a four-point gap between Atleti and Girona at this point in time, between now and the rest of the season, advantage Atleti, um, in my opinion. That's fair. And, and again, it, it all depends on tomorrow. If if Girona can right the ship, they won last week. You know, if they can continue to get you know back on track, I think it's a little bit more of an uphill battle to to catch them or see them fall out of the top five. But we kind of expected them after the Madrid loss to kind of just I did expect them to crater, uh, and I still think that they they slip a, l- a little bit along the way. You know they they still have to play Atletico Madrid at some point, and so they have a tough. They still have a tough and Barca. couple of tough games and Barca. So you know, I'm not. I don't want the story to end. But if we're looking at it realistically, of where Girona historically has been, they're not a top five side. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you if you're looking at you know that perspective, I think, and especially with you know Athletic Club, although they they had a big chance to close that gap and they got trounced yesterday. Um, you know, so I think. If they can, if those two teams close that gap on Girona, they get leapfrogged pretty easily, and all of a sudden you look and you blink, and you're in fifth or sixth place. So that that's where I'm coming from in that perspective. Not so much that Atleti are going to just blow them away, but I think it's a combination of both factors. No doubt, no doubt. You you didn't mention you know Champions League and Copa del Rey is coming up this week. So if they kind of crash out of those cup competitions, then they'll have all eyes on La Liga. That's when you could see them make a run. So I, I do see your point. Now we actually, I do want to cover, you know, the games that were played as well. Barca, you mentioned Barca are kind of back right now, a four nil win against Hitafe. Rafinha, who's been out injured for a while, looked back to his best um, with a goal and an assist. They're now in second place, you know, of course, waiting for for Girona to, to play tomorrow. So I was there. That's probably their best one they've had in a month and a half now. So we'll see if they take that performance, bottle it up, and try to replicate it. You know, in Champions League or in La Liga uh, in in the next round of games. And then you also mentioned Athletic Club get they do get trounced by by Betis and our boy Johnny Cardoso scored an absolute banger to open his account there. So. I'm very impressed with how how Betis played. They're also playing a ton of games right now, so I didn't really know how that game would go. But I, w- I was a little surprised that Betis got the best of Athletic Club. Yeah, I mean they they're both pretty comparable sides. Uh, that's why I think I had Betis fourth. You had Athletic Club fourth at the beginning of the season when we did our predictions. So again, they're they're right there, uh, and they have been the last couple of seasons fighting for that fifth fifth and sixth place position. Uh, or fourth place position, you know, that if they, one of them interchanging in there. Um, so it wasn't surprising. The result was surprising. Um, just, but again, I think that's also what some of those games can, can get that way when one team gets a little bit of a heads up and, and you're playing on the front foot to try and get an equalizer. And then that third just comes, you know, on a counter or, 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 you know, against the run of play, if you will. Uh, so that didn't surprise me. I, I think it was, you know, Betis are a good side. Um, they have players like Isco and, and a few other guys out there with um, Miguel Pe- uh, Pellegrini is the manager. So, you know, he, he does, he knows what he's doing, um, but it was an opportunity for Athletic Club, Athletic Club, Bilbao. There we go. Twister. Yeah. Them and Atletico Madrid. They always get me. Uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was an opportunity for them to, to, to move up the table and separate themselves even further. Now, I don't think Betis can catch them um, just too far, too far away. Um, but this was a big game. Five points is now again similar to up top, uh, not out of the question. And and just to put a finer point on your Barcelona, you know, conversation, they look good, but there's still some some gaps and some issues there. You know, the way that they played and and they were playing Getafe, so take that for what it's worth. But you take a clean sheet if you're Ter Stegen, first one since he's been back, which is nice. Um, you know, Rafinha looked good. They looked like they were playing with fun in their feet for, for once, um, you know, kind of playing off each other. Joe Felix didn't look great, came off and wasn't too thrilled that he was subbed off. But, um, you know, the one thing that concerns me from a Barcelona's perspective is just how they are using and how Joe Cancelo has played. Um, I don't want to get too tactical on it because I know we're, we're 
we got a couple more things we want to touch on before the end of the episode, but uh, it's just a weird way that he plays, even though he's supposed to be a, a back, he, he never sits in the back um, and is, is kind of a liability on the defensive side for Barcelona, given how tight and compact they were last year. But uh, we'll see what happens um, as they go forward. It was nice to see them though play a little bit better. Absolutely. And um, to kind of pivot over to, to the Italian league, Another race that seems to run its course, unfortunately. Oh, this is Matt. over. This, this is, is over. Okay, so we can confirm. This we one's can confirm done. that the enter is definitely done. Uh, nine point lead now. Lataro brace with a game now, in hand, by the way. With a game in hand, which makes it even sadder for for Syria, other teams around who are trying to compete with them. But I do want to phrase a question to you: Is Lataro Martinez the most informed striker in the world right now? He's definitely up there. Uh, I mean, another brace. Uh, yes or no? Guy, yes. Yes. There we go. Okay. You, you continue. I just wanted to make sure I, I didn't want you to jump around a little bit. No, I mean, it's tough though, because it is Syria, right? And I, I think that's part of the perception. It, it's not Erling Holland doing it in the Premier League. And, and, you know, he's at 17 goals and having missed a boatload of games. Uh, but Martin Martinez is putting the ball in the net. And if you're a striker, it doesn't matter what league you're in. You put the ball in the net. That's your job. And you, and you know how to do that regardless of where you're playing. So if you drop him in to, to premier league, he probably doesn't score as many as he has, but he still scores a bunch. Um, now it will be important for them to get him on the score sheet against Atletico Madrid. Um, that is a huge, huge plus. If they get that, they need it. Um, and so he, he didn't, he didn't play, uh, the other day, um, to my to my awareness or remembrance, um, he did. He did. but he didn't. He created, he, did. he created the goal. It was deflection that had. Okay, fair enough. Score, but he's uh, he, he needs to score versus around uh, Arnautovic like that. That if they want to go far in this tournament, he needs to score in the Champions League, and that's where, again, it, it's in the Serie A. He's doing it left and right, but he's got to prove himself to to the rest of the world. But to me. I, I go by goals and he has some of the highest number of goals this season across Europe. I, I agree with that point. Now you did try to caveat it by saying he's in the Serie A. I do want to just put it out there that they're more than likely going to get the extra UCL spot for this next year. And why is that? That is because there's more Italian teams than any other uh, nationality in the UCL competition right now. That is not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. So I do agree, obviously, the Premier League and La Liga, and you could maybe argue Bundesliga, has maybe a better quality top top to bottom. But I do think this inter side, paired with Lataro Martinez, are a top three side in the world, if not numero uno or dos. Um, and I don't know why I said Spanish and not Italian, but I was going to say, uh, I didn't want to call you out on that though. Yeah, that was, that was, that didn't sound right, but I, I'm going to also, um, you know, mention that Juve who are trying to catch them. were able to, to just, you know, get three points here with a three, two thriller against Frozione Rugani uh, with a 94th minute winner. Dusan Blahovic, um getting the ball from McKinney twice scores a brace, continues his fiery form. And I'm loving that duo between McKinney and Vlahovic. Unfortunately, McKinney did get injured, though, so we'll, we don't know the extent of that injury. Looks like a dislocated shoulder from what our first report, so it could be ouch. a couple weeks. Yeah, ouch is right. Good thing they're not in the race anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, AC Milan also drops points against Atalanta. Um, so, you know, a little bit of separation there again for Juve. Um, as they get three points uh, and we've talked about that race kind of where that could net out. So it looks like it's not over yet. That, that definitely has still a little bit of legs left as far as, you know, AC Milan catching Juventus, but especially with Weston McKinney out, that would be a big blow for Juventus and potentially drop into third. Uh, Atalanta though, pick up a big point to stay right behind Bologna. Uh, Roma probably are the last team within this race. Now, Daniel, we, we touched on how fun this race has been. Uh, for that fourth title, fourth spot in Champions League. It looks like it's starting to separate itself out a little bit, though. Lazio Field have dropped off now at 40 points, eight points back and forth. Uh, Fiorentina, 38 points. And Napoli, who absolutely just continue to, to play poorly. Uh, Caligari dropping and drawing against Calgaria. Uh, not, not good. Um, and so... Um, 
you know, we're looking at basically Bologna, Atalanta, and Roma in my mind for for fourth. Um, and so it's going to be an interesting one. It's been fun to watch. It still will be because all three teams are very close. And uh, you've seen what Rossi has done with, with Roma. So they're on the up and up, uh, if you will, or trending up. Uh, so can they make a little bit of a run and catch Bologna? That'll be kind of what leaves me watching Serie A at this point for the rest of the season. You know what else will have you watching Serie A by the end of the season is this relegation scrap that they have. Now, Calgary, they do get a, a much-needed point here against Napoli, um, but 13th to 19th are only separated by five points. That is a lot of teams in that in that little sub-area, including Hellas Verona's Carol Sordierski, Charlotte FC player on loan. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what team catches form and which team slump. In this, this relegation zone, there's only one team that's – for sure, probably going to get relegated. But Calgary, Hellas Verona, um, just to name a few, are going to be the teams that are currently in there, but they're going to be trying to fight with the teams outside to survive um, relegation here. So definitely keep an eye on that. I was hoping you're going to try it. I, I'm not even going to try it. I was hoping you're going to go for the Calgary. The last, no, the last place team. I, I wasn't uh, Sol, 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 is it Solitana? Is it that one? Close enough. Close enough. Close. Southern, Southern yep. nah, you just you're just, you're just gonna bury it. You should have just stuck with it the way. Don't you think were. about it. You can't yep. think about it. Exactly. But uh, all right. Well, I know you're not looking forward to this, but let's just I'm go not. ahead and and I'm get not. this get this underway. Just give me a second, real quick. I'm gonna just queue up something, and then we can go. I'm just gonna actually no, I don't have it. I was gonna queue. We are the champions here. Um, did you watch Psych? You ever watch Psych? Watch the Psych. show. I did want I'm going to give you a nice suck it because you are a loser for the second time this season. You know, I beat you with NCFC and Charlotte Independence, and I had to come around again with Liverpool against Chelsea. I've been looking forward to this all day. Suck it. But it was a good game. I will give you that. But, and I know we're going to like really go into, you know, how Pochettino, how you're going to set up the teams and everything. But I just want to lay out a few stats before we get started. And I don't think you're going to like this first one I'm going to read off here. So let me let me prepare that real fast. All right. So Chelsea are the first side in English football history to lose six consecutive domestic cup finals. 2019 FA Cup. Or yeah, you don't, have, cup. you don't have to read them out. I know there. I know what 2020, 2021, yeah, 2022, yeah, 2022 right. and 2024. Right. The blue job, calling the blue billion pound bottle jobs. That's not a fun name. Not a fun name. But, you know, this was probably your final to lose. I'm going to just go out there and say it. Our final to lose. It it didn't feel that way going into the match. Certainly, of course, you guys in the form that you're in, uh, top the table, us where we are. I will say by... 80th, 80th minute, I would agree with you. I think at the end of the match, we had the momentum going into the final whistle. Definitely were the better team and, and put the foot down. Um, back and forth match, you know, really good, good watch to, as a neutral. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say anything negative about the team. I, I text you good game afterwards, knowing I was going to get berated by some bullshit after, but that's okay. Um, but going into it, I think we had a chance to really, you know, kind of close it out. You had a lot of youngsters at the end there, given, you know, just like we've talked about earlier in the show, just the, the health of the squad and who was on the bench and, and a long game, uh, a tough game, a lot of running. Uh, tactically, you guys dominated the midfield uh, early on. Uh, you know, Endo was really winning balls against against Enzo um, and kind of putting that pressure on us, you know, really winning that ball high up in the pitch and, and, and putting it back into the box, really. But you didn't really do much with it. Um, and then Chelsea kind of found their legs a little bit later in the, in the second half, a little bit towards the end of the first half as well. I would say they played a little better than really the second half was, was a much better Chelsea. I do think a little bit of it was nerves too, for a young squad on our side, the first 20 minutes. Um, it's still a young squad. You know, Raheem Sterling was the oldest player on the pitch at 29 for Chelsea. So, you know, that's something that you're looking at uh, again. I don't, I don't diminish that we spent a billion dollars on those players that are young. Um, 
but they, it's still a young squad. And, and obviously given that you brought in younger players uh, playing three teenagers at the end of the, the match, you know, you can't really say anything differently towards you guys, but um, it was a good match. Uh, and, you know, you, you lean on the captain and uh, he delivers an absolute beauty of a, a, a goal, uh, 119th minute demoralizing. Um, like I said, I sat and stared at my television for 10 minutes um, but to be honest, I would have actually preferred to lose the way we did than penalties. Penalties is honestly my least favorite way to go out. Um, so I was hoping that there would have been a, a regulation or extra time goal. Uh, of course I wished it was Chelsea, uh, you know, but it didn't happen. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens in, in the FA cup at this point, that's all we have left to play for this season. So, um, but I like what we, I like what I saw. Uh, from our side and we are improving continuously uh, and you heard Pochettino talk after the after the game it's still a project you know these are these guys are going through it for the first time we're going to lose together they're going to grow uh, and we're going to reassess what the project looks like and so yeah I mean this is just another stepping stone in, in a team that's building and uh, it was a tough loss but um, sometimes you have to have tough losses to to grow and and, and you know develop as a side so uh, we'll see what happens the rest of the way now now is from here the rest of the way is kind of what what Chelsea will be going forward, I think. And, and that's how you react. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just going to kind of go into just a few things that I thought were, were pretty interesting in this match. Um, you know, Liverpool, 13 senior players and the Rex, the rest were the Academy kids. Um, so the fact that we were not only able to keep it close throughout the game, but then bring on four kids from the Academy or not, if not, you know, four, um, it, it's pretty incredible. And they literally just plugged and played and, and, and fought hard for the, for the three points, or I guess for the trophy, excuse me. Um, but I, all I have to say is Donke Jurgen, you're, you're truly a class above. I don't care about La Masia. All I care about is La Axa because we just keep pumping out these kids and they keep performing on a weekly basis. Connor Bradley started the match. Kwanzaa came in McConnell Don's and, um, Bobby Clark. So shout out to all you kids. Enjoy, enjoy the day. I also want to give a shout out to Kelleher. Man, was he immense. You guys probably had the better chances, but he completely kept us in the game. Not once, not twice, but three separate times. And I, I really think when I said this was your game, so your game to lose, I, I wouldn't have said that a week ago when I saw the lineup and who was missing. I slightly favored you guys in my head, but then when it came to the match, I just feel like one team was clinical and, and one team wasn't and and the team that was ended up coming out with with the trophy which is definitely unfortunate each team had a goal called off and a, a ball off the woodwork so fairly even in that respect it just when we brought on academy kids you brought on Nkunku and Mudrick and in Matawake so really there's just not a better coach in the world in my opinion than Jurgen and he's going to really enjoy uh this trophy and know continue that farewell tour yeah i will say you know we had our chances if it was anyone else other than chelsea you guys probably lose um <laughs> but it's chelsea and we don't know how to put the ball in the net so yep. you know there you go and uh but yeah again all credit to the team and and, and what you guys have done over there and um of course you know quadruple still on the on the table um as well um and would be great for for Jurgen to go out that way so um we'll see what happens but daniel we, we've covered a lot here just want to cover quickly on a couple rest of the world games and then we have our predictions to wrap us up uh psg draw against ron uh but ren is not that great um and so psg still has a pretty good cushion atop the table um you know just of course we're keeping an eye just for just because it's PSG and they're one of the best teams in the world. Uh, however you look at the, the league on, that's up to you. But 11 points now clear at the top. Feels like this is pretty much done and dusted. Uh, Brest, you know, very good story in second place, but Monaco right behind them now with two points uh, behind. So you do expect at some point that uh, league uh, will be the top two teams uh, that it usually is, PSG and Monaco going forward. I learned um, something new, by the way, in this Monaco match. Yeah, go ahead. Don't even get. Balogun close to a penalty spot. I think he's missed like now five penalties on the year, something insane like it's that. It's been bad. It's when it comes bad. when it comes to, to Copa America, especially you know, Pulisic is always going to take it. But we're talking penalty shootouts. Greg, you now know 
don't even think about putting Florian up there. Because oh, you just got me will, upset even more. You just got will, me upset that Greg I know, mentioned I know. Greg. So thanks I for know. that. I appreciate well, it. Yeah, you also lost today. So just to mention that as well. But yeah, I just I, I just thought I wanted to throw that in um, real quick. Before, I didn't mean to interrupt you though. Um, oh, no, you're good. And the other yeah. one was uh, AZ Akmar uh, beating Ajax today as well. Um, so Akmar um, basically now is locked down third position. It seems like with Ajax continuing to just kind of falter here, fourth position, excuse me, Ajax now six points back uh, for fourth, uh, given what they, how the year started um, pretty remarkable that they're even this close in, in, con in contention, but um, going to be a disappointing year for in Amsterdam for Ajax. Uh, Benfica catches up to Lisbon um, who, who do drop points in the Portuguese league. Um, so that's going to be a tight race to the finish there. Benfica is currently still atop the table there. Um, sporting in second place as well. One so, game in hand though. That's why yep, they're exactly. two points. So, you know, yep. we'll see how that goes. We'll see where that goes. But again, uh, we had, a, we covered a lot. Uh, there's still games on Monday, which we alluded to a little bit. And then also there are some games on Tuesday, uh, with Copa del Rey. And so Daniel and I wanted to touch on, some predictions for you guys. Usually we save those for Thursday, um, which we will still have some of those on, on Thursday's show as well. But Daniel, take us through some of these games that I get to give you my snap, my nap game and uh, all that's work. So no, no nap during work. Yeah. I would hate to tell your employer that. Um, it's all Daniel's fault. He picked the nap game. To go ahead and start. Girona versus Raya. We've mentioned it uh, a couple times now. Who do you have winning that match? Uh, I'll take a draw here. Um, nothing against Girona. Just Rio's a, a, a solid squad. Um, and I, I do think you're going to see Girona drop some points. Um, and this one, I, I'll take a 1-1 one, one draw. 1-1 one, one draw. All right. I'm going to go 2-1 Girona win to get back on track. Fiorentina versus Lazio. Was a fun matchup earlier on. They're still pretty close in the table. Um, this is probably the nap game of the week, regardless what the weekend is like. Is uh, this is probably 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, I will take a 0-0 zero, zero gladly here. I'm going to go 1-1, one, one, but just as boring as a 0-0. Zero, zero. Real, Real Sociedad versus Mallorca, semifinal second leg, 0-0 zero, zero aggregate so far. Who do you have? This was a fun matchup in the league as well. Um, if you watch this game the other day, so these two have been really contested and, and testy the last couple of legs here, uh, both in, in Copa del Rey and La League. I think Real Sociedad though has more more firepower. Um, give me them in a two two zero result. Yeah, they've been struggling as of late, so I'm going to go one one after extra time or for the ninety, and then Real Sociedad either get through with extra time or or penalties. And then Inter plays Atalanta. 3-0 Inter. Atalanta's good, wow. but I think Inter just, they're on a mission. Uh, I don't think there's really anyone stopping them this year. I'm going to go 2-1 Inter. I think it'll be a closer game than you're giving credit for, but you know I, I do think Inter keeps it rolling, and I just don't know if they're going to lose the rest of the year in, in the league. Athletic Club versus Atletico Madrid, the two Atleticos that we love to mess up pretty pretty frequently, um, are in the second leg of their semifinal in the Copa del Rey. Athletic Club is up one nil on aggregate. Does it? You know, is there going to be goals? Who do you have advancing, and then what do you have the score of the game? This being at club, um, I'll take club. Uh, Atletico Madrid plays so differently on the road. Um, they did have a draw today, yesterday against Almeria, which I think was a look ahead to this game, uh, to be honest. Mm, but point. again, I do think that they play entirely different on the road. Give me one nil athletic club and they advance two nil on aggregate. Uh, it could also be a zero zero draw and they would advance. I think they would be completely content with that too, but either way club advance. Um, I do think they also win the game though club or, or bill bow whatever the listeners prefer here but i'm going to go with bill bow uh advancing as well especially with no grease bond currently i think that's a big miss and nico williams did get a red card in the league that we failed to mention in, in the roundup but he will be you know wanting to redeem himself in this match so i think the williams brothers go off to you know probably a 2-1 win here and they they walk their way to the semifinals probably i'm going to guess a athletic bilbao or athletic club 
uh, matchup versus Real Sociedad, which will be, will be a really interesting Copa del Rey, as well as the fight for fourth place that we originally had at the start of the season, Matt. So it all comes full circle for us. Now, thank you. If you're still tuning in, thank you for listening to another full-time roundup episode. Um, just real quick housekeeping, please like the podcast. Please subscribe on YouTube. We've got some new content coming out for you very soon. Please rate the podcast five stars on any platform you listen to and go ahead and download so we can get some good analytics on, you know, what we're doing here because we do it for you guys. Um, and then, of course, least last but not least, follow the Twitter at Full Time Roundup. Interact with us. You know, if you want to make fun of Matt for being a loser in the EFL final, you can tweet at him at Life of Gessling. There's more Chelsea can, fans than Liverpool fans. Just going to point that out. So. For sure. But you can also, you know, wish me congratulations at Liverpool CLTFC. <laughs> so thank you again. Thank you again, guys, for, for listening here and uh, have a wonderful rest of the week.